0: So this is episode forty-seven, right? Yep. Uh, and I want to. We'll just start. I don't want to mispronounce your last name, Constantine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna let you say
1: the full name. Constantine uh, Belushev. That'd be the really Russian way to say it, or Belushev. I guess I kind of mispronounce my own last name due to a bit of a list. Constantine. Um, Belishev I guess is Belishev. the way most okay. Americans pronounce it. Yeah, the letter E it's not it's not in the English alphabet. I
0: see. Okay. Okay. So, so the
1: Y is a is a substitute placeholder if you
0: will. Okay. So well thank you for coming and sitting down tonight. For having me. Uh, we we so I'm just going to give a little background here. We met maybe what was it June? Something like that. Yeah. I think we met in uh, sometime in the early summer. Because yeah. it's hot, yeah. It was we it's we hot. met on uh, on the set of Pupsicles, our short film, mm-hmm. and we just got to screen that. So you were shooting it, I was acting in it. We met through our friend, mutual friend Eric Mock. Um, I, I there's a bunch of different places I have to ideas to go, but I would like to start and this will just kind of give our listeners uh, an idea uh, because of this whole thing being creative moonlighting. Every, everybody knows, anybody who's listened to this knows that for years I spent uh, teaching and making movies on nights and weekends kind of thing. And I know just based on what we've talked about, we're going to get into what you do, but um, you, you're now and currently kind of doing the same thing. Right. And I've seen a bunch. I saw a bunch. You got some great work online, by the way. Yeah. Your website's cool. Uh, The stills, too. I didn't know. So you do video and photo.
1: Yeah. So a lot of bands. Yeah. So that's kind of how I found my voice. Sort of. I was doing video stuff with some friends of mine. And I I guess I fancied myself more of the creative writer director type. But I didn't have a lot of technical skills. And uh, it was kind of just sort of time to move on. I moved out of San Marcos. A lot of things have changed. I quit my long time job. I was way out of uh, college at that point, And I decided I was going to pick up a camera. And I just started kind of messing around. And I remember I took it to um, the Art of War. It's sort of a thing in San Antonio. It's like a big hip hop show. It's got a lot of, it's got break dancing. It's got, Uh, producer sort of uh, battles and it's got freestyle battles and at the end we had Jiza from the Wu-Tang Clan. He did the closing sort of performance. So that was awesome and I must have taken 5,000 photos. I think maybe 10 were fine uh, by pure accident because I was just clicking. I refused to shoot it on manual. Uh, I'm sorry. I refused to shoot it on auto so everything was manual and I was just kind of Wildly going through the aperture and an f-stop and a shot and the ISO, and I had no idea what I was
0: doing. Quit, that that was like a, a lesson in and of itself, right? Like yeah, you, if it you really go and was. shoot five thousand pictures manually, you're going to learn something. Yeah, and, and
1: what I found really quickly was that um, I I really enjoyed it, and I really got to learn from it. As long as I sat down to edit the photos within the next few days which is what i did and which is that habit that i kind of stayed with especially if you're starting on and you don't understand how the camera works you know lightroom or photoshop it'll tell you what settings you use so yeah you'll get pretty good at realizing hey maybe going beyond below one of a second <laughs> it's like a really bad idea
0: with this camera it's just it just can't quite unless well, you I do, it do it for it. a specific reason right? right it's like yeah
1: and and so i kept going out and seeing live shows at paper tiger in san antonio got to okay. see um oh what's his name um got to see a soul artist i really like out of new york i forget his name right now um but you uh, saw a paper tie. I've been there. Yeah. it's great yeah, spot. To yeah, I got seen there. Got to see Bed, Bad, Not Good there. Got to okay. see the blind owls out of uh, Corpus Christi yep. there as well. I think they opened for the artist whose name I'm blanking out. Yeah. Lee Fields is okay. who it is. Got to see Lee Fields there. I think they opened for him, I think.
0: Um. And did you take pictures of that one too? Or is that uh, like... Yeah, I did. So I you... did.
1: There, I think... I'm not sure if I have any of the blind owls on my website. They're definitely on my Instagram. Uh, I think I have one photo of uh, Lee Fields up on my website. It's definitely one of those. I just started. I didn't know what I was doing. So in order to make anything good out of it, I had to just overprocess it. I remember I was so sore after Lee, the Lee Fields concert because I just had the camera up the entire time and I was shooting with a 72-200 millimeter lens the entire time, which is really heavy for the entirety of the concert and it was just uh, again maybe 20 came out good out of like 5000
0: <laughs> yeah uh, Well, uh, you know what's crazy so yeah let's talk about that for a second cuz cuz if you're shooting them all so you were at probably changing aperture changing iso change it, you you were probably just altering it as you went i'm guessing
1: yeah so at that Shoot point 10 is- and
0: then change something and
1: <laughs> yeah so i i mean So I was shooting with a Canon 70D. Oh yeah, I used to have that camera, yeah. Yeah. So so you have to actually take the photo to see what the settings are gonna do. So unlike the mirrorless cameras today where you change the settings and that's basically what you're gonna get, you actually have to take the photo in order to see if the settings you're using are gonna work or not. Yeah. Uh, And I was beginning to realize that maybe shooting at F10 was a pretty bad idea at night. Uh, but I was still not sort of comfortable enough with the camera. I was nervous, and the crowd was pretty rowdy. The crowd really loved Lee Fields, uh, and they did not want my elbows sticking out. And I'm a pretty tall guy; I'm 6'4", yeah. so I was I was annoying some people, and I was like, "Nope, I'm going to be unapologetic about this. Just going to." Were you right this. up front? Um, I was sort of uh, in the middle. I was okay. sort of I was centered. I wanted because I didn't know what I was going to get. I wanted to make sure that I could capture the band's. And the um, the his backing band, um, and at this point you're I, just I, doing it from the crowd. From the crowd, I had multiple lenses on me. I had a wider lens, I believe. I had my friends. Uh, I was using my friend's camera at the time, by the way. Uh, Philip Collins.
0: Uh, <laughs> Thank I, you, Philip, for letting. <laughs> yeah,
1: and he still has the camera. Um, nice. I think I was. I had a eighteen to one hundred five. Yep. Uh, and then I had uh, my mentor, Don. He was a professional photographer back in the 70s, did a lot of shuttle photography, stuff like yeah. that back in the day. Um, honestly, he had a lot of great stories, but he, lo- he loved to tell a big tall tale. I'm yeah. not sure how many of them were really true, <laughs> but he certainly had the gear to back it up. And he, uh, was, uh, he favored Canon, so he gave me some of his equipment, which is how I got to the really fancy 70 to 200 millimeter at constant f stop, about uh, four f stop. Yeah, um, it's a great lens, yeah, it really is. So that's how I kind of got some of the closer photos of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely learned quick from there. I that's when I started going up to Austin, uh, to seeing bands like Trouble in the Streets. And uh, Magna Carta; those were some of my first ones. I think I started working a bit with uh, Trouble in the Streets. So that was my first sort of show that I was invited to uh, come in. You have access to the backstage. You have access to the front row. Do whatever you want. And I just—I mean, there were some decent shots there, but I was so nervous, so scared that I—I I, kind of screwed up the settings. And some stuff definitely came out good, but I, I needed to. Take photos the entire set to get something good out of it. I'll say that much.
0: You know, it ha- have you found that that's changed now that you do know what you're doing? Do you have to take photos for the entire set? No, c-
1: absolutely not. I can, I can, I can absolutely come in and do whatever I need to do pretty quickly in order and get, get, get out. in and out. Yeah, it was just literally and then you just me. enjoy the show if you want. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely uh, me learning the camera times. Yeah, and me learning to manage my uh, anxiety of just having to, you know, deliver a product. And it's, it's not like a wedding in that sense. Well, it is like a wedding in that sense. You know, yeah. if you don't capture that moment, you didn't capture that moment. How does that how work is. with,
0: with concerts? So you, if you get hired to do it, then you're, you're, you're just going to shoot all, all however, until you feel like you've got it. and then. So
1: I've never done anything too big, like ACL or anything yeah. like that. I, uh, but what you do typically, you, you, to keep it professional for really big shows, you, you have the three songs. You take the photos first three songs, and you and then you get out. Okay. I mean, you can keep taking photos, but like, you better not be visible.
0: You know, uh, you better not be standing in the side. They sidelines. don't want you. So for the yeah. whole th- the whole yeah. time, and, and
1: it depends on the photographer. So there's like sort of like celebrity photographers, like Punigana is one. Like if you're hiring Punigana, maybe she shoot, shoot the entire show because she's pretty damn great. Okay. If she needs to, if she feels like it. Yeah. But uh, you know. But pretty much anything she's gonna do is gonna be great, probably. I see. Okay. Uh and I think she's I think she's local. I think she's from somewhere in central Texas okay. and she travels all the way around. Like she is somebody who is uh desired as a event like music event photographer across the world. Okay. And uh there's not a lot of those people out there. There's really not. That's uh, interesting. There's a lot of more local people, so Austin has a lot of great live, live music, music. photographers. Yeah. But they're legitimately great talented people. I know a few of them, and I I really, really love their work.
0: Now and, you start so you 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 grew up in in San Marcus, right? Yeah,
1: no, San Marcus is it is an interesting place. It it's a strange place. Because you can be between the ages of 18 and 28 there forever, even in your 50s, because you're surrounded by people that age. Yeah, yeah. And um, it kind of got a bit too much for me. I, I had to leave. I was like, not only is this my hometown, I feel like there's nothing else to do here. There's not. There's the university, and then there's the food in, and there's the service industry. And that's kind of oh, and I guess now there's the Amazon warehouse. Oh, that's right. I but aside about that. from that, what else
0: are you gonna do there? I, I said I decided this was time to go. In so fact, that, so that that's what kind of brought you here. Then
1: uh, I moved to San Antonio. I oh, was,
0: San Antonio. Yeah. For
1: about six months, uh, I, w- I was living with my um, <clears throat> girlfriend at the time.
0: Pull that mic just a little closer to you. Oh, okay. Yeah, right there. Uh, yeah, you're
1: good. We we broke up, and it was like, all right, that's fine, totally fine. Um, and I said, all right, well, it is time for me to move to Austin. It was, uh, either that or Houston, but I knew way more people in Austin. So I moved to Austin, uh, started driving for Lyft and, uh, started applying for jobs. And this was sort of the first time I think ever that I was like, maybe my skill speaking Russian will come in handy. Yeah. And that's how I landed my job, my first corporate tech gig which was uh which was uh as a trust and safety team lead for youtube okay um through accenture um it's all contracted work and i worked at about nine months i think and things didn't quite work out i moved to apple and now i'm back at google working a different project uh but through that time i have been um working as a as a as a working work working video photo all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So
0: that's that's kind of the, where these but I, these but two I have things. been
1: doing that before since really I finished college in San Marcos. It was sort of a it was sort of a ramp up. Yeah. To that in San Marcos we wanted to focus on more creative stuff, and we were technically very capable. I feel like there was sort of three people that were working together: myself, my friend Chris, and my friend Philip. Uh, but it was such a large team for some for a market so small <laughs> yeah. that there was nothing we could really do for it. So we all kind of pers- ended up doing different things, and we're all very much working in around the industry in a way. Chris is the only one directly in. He's a multimedia producer and content strategist essentially for uh, Spice Brand. Okay. And he was uh, doing the exact same thing for Texas Electrical Cooperative for a number of years. And he did that before at New Braunfels ISD and started at University Star, which is the school paper at Texas State. Okay. So he's been in that world. Uh, my friend Philip um, went more the educational route. He's an adjunct professor at ACC now, teaching uh, media literacy and sort of film history and film 101 type of stuff. Okay. Uh, And I'm sort of in this freelance space and the tech world. So trying to sort of live the Austin dreams all at once where it comes together. Uh,
0: Yeah, it is so crazy when when you're trying to do those two things. I mean, at least I get, I don't know. Yeah, I I wonder, is there any crossover for you like between your, your tech world and your film world is there any crossover there or is um, or is it pretty much just two parallel lanes running
1: well it's the thing the fact of it is is that even the tech world is stratified i live in this i work in a sort of this almost blue color work of tech world where it is heavily based on localization i don't like translation stuff specifically working for markets outside of english language i started as that i started because on this particular project, because I spoke Russian, I was hired in mind to start the anthology department. Um, but it is a very—it's such a global role that yeah. you're not really interacting with people in Austin at all, aside from your own team. Uh, if I worked probably for a startup downtown, there would be a lot more crossover, I imagine. Yeah, uh, and I do see that quite happening quite often. There is a one. Uh, brand or uh, one company that I work with called Opus and they kind of sort of a healthcare fitness company yeah, they I have this they have this sort of vibrating bed experience <laughs> um with the musical experience and guided meditation stuff so I'll do some work for them once in a while I mostly take photos and some B roll um, but yeah the closer you are to downtown if you will or Westlake the chances uh the closer the chances of the those two sort of crossing moves, yeah. crossing
0: over yeah yeah so when you okay so when you left uh when you left San Marcos you'd already gone to college there right but then yeah. didn't you go to St. Ed's also so
1: I originally went to St. Edwards that was the first school I oh, went to and okay. then I transferred back to Texas State so yeah 2007 I kind of wake up as a junior you know at the latter end of 2007 going wait a second i gotta go to college like next year this time what does that mean again i don't nobody's telling me anything my parents don't know how this system works i'm not really getting a lot of guidance from my teachers so i start freaking out looking around and i for the first time i realized hey your gpa is cumulative because it got reset when you entered ninth grade, which seemed very, cause like that's, I don't think that's the way it works in like, in Russia. Okay. It's, like,
0: it's from the time you start school to the I'm time? I'm not you-
1: sure if it's necessarily from the time you start school, but it's, I don't know if it's necessarily ninth grade. So like.
0: But middle in, school might mean something. Yeah, there exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: So like in Russia, the building that I went to, the building where I started first grade, if I stayed there, that would have been the building from which I graduated. Right. First through, 12th grade are all in there. Everybody's packed into one building and there's more schools. That's crazy. They're smaller. You
0: got the little kids and the big kids all
1: together. Yep, exactly. And the little kids are on the first floor and then the second and the third floor are for sort of everyone else above third grade, oh, fifth grade yeah. up. So to me, it was just like, it was definitely my bad, <laughs> uh, but kind of also, you know, my career counselors sort of didn't, I didn't even know I had one. Yeah. Uh, they didn't really know how to advise me. I didn't know how to ask him any questions I, I, uh, and then so my, my plan was that, hey, I, I want to make films, I did theater for a number of years, I did drawing and painting and I was very serious about all of that but I wanted to switch to film but I needed to learn how to write and I knew I had trouble writing in English still, I felt like I came out and I was still having a lot of trouble gathering my thoughts in English. Um, so I said, I'm going to go into the English department to learn to write, not necessarily creative writing, uh, but writing. I need rigorous writing. The yeah. English I, language. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to go to Texas State because that's where everybody from San Marcos went. So I was told not to even apply to UT because they were like, well, you're not going to be top 10% and they're not going to even look at you. And I was like top 12% or something so like that. like
0: not that far off. Not that
1: far off. And like with my story as an immigrant and not that many Russian immigrants in Central Texas, I honestly probably could have got in. I bet so, uh, yeah. Too bad. Yeah. Honestly, we'll never know. I'm yeah. not, that That's something that's like, I'm definitely not bitter about. It's more like, oh yeah, I realized that I could have got in like years after I graduated right. college. But and it all, whatever, yeah. It's, I honestly, I'm pretty happy I'm mostly happy with my college experience. Um, So I got into it and uh, I was pretty lucky in that I was taught by a lot of older professors at St. Edward's, people who've been there forever, people who really believe in the liberal arts education, who are widely educated, who are educated in the classics and philosophy and theology and a lot of different stuff. And so I was very taken aback by my freshman studies class, which was divided between two people, Professor Cherry and Professor Harold Becker. And he passed on a few years back. Um, and he was from Germany. Uh, I think he was from Nuremberg. Um, and um, it, he was one of those guys that all the prof- all the students loved, and you could just come to him with any problems. Like it's one of those like if you're a freshman, you get drunk and you end up in a tank. You kept his number on you wow. because he'd bail you out. He's wow. one of those. He'd be deeply disappointed in you, but he would take care of you. Wow. I never had that experience. That's incredible. But that's definitely a story, multiple stories I've heard about him. So with He's that business, kind of person. Yeah, yeah. He, he definitely was. And so he taught the literature aspect of it. So he introduced me to modernism, a lot of German modernism. Uh, And then Professor Cherry introduced me to philosophy. And then I took a couple of more philosophy classes that were, I think they were a requirement for my English degree. Um, One intro to philosophy, which was mostly focused on Bernard Lonergan's insight and honestly, it captures a lot of Western philosophy in the last three, four centuries. And then I took one with Professor Peter Wake, and that's when I decided I'm, I need to major in this. I need to actually do philosophy full-time. So that's, how,
0: that's when it hit.
1: Yeah, and, and, it, and this is like when the real double life started. This is when I went, All right, maybe I don't want to do film. Maybe
0: I want to do philosophy. Because up to that point, you wanted to do film.
1: I I wanted to do film. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't really have a plan. None of the English classes really catered to it. Uh, And I was getting really fed up with the English classes because a lot of them were all about structure and not enough about content and the prompts were so boring. It's like, oh, talk about yourself. I'm like, I'm 18 years old and I'm tired (laughs) talking about how much of an immigrant I am because I don't even know what that means because I haven't even processed that yet because I didn't understand what the culture around me is. I'm only beginning to now. I just have enough cultural context and English to understand that. So instead of just writing about me, you actually have to kind of understand some pretty interesting concepts in order to kind of do an assignment in that case, whether that be ethics, epistemology, metaphysics, or whatever have you. And so that's, and and another big part of it is that a big part of it in philosophy is that discussion. You actually have to discuss things in class yeah and like if you don't have a good discussion in class uh, i mean if you don't have a professor who knows how to moderate a good discussion you're gonna know very quickly and they're not very good classes typically they're just boring it's lectures. Fall, it's gonna, yeah
0: it's gonna fall apart and, and, yeah. and, it,
1: and it could be the fault of the teacher but it could also very it's, it's more times than not it's gonna be the fault of the students mm-hmm. because they don't want to engage with the material because they're bored they're disinterested they're just antagonistic um, things kind of
0: feed off of one another yeah, far, and really, yeah you really have
1: to be excited and excited by and sort of be led by and that's really what i found with um with peter wake um zanardi liked to shoot over our heads a lot more and for good reason um a lot of us were kind of a rowdy bunch so how many us- how many students so at san edwards the classes were no longer than maybe 22, 25 people, even the freshman studies classes, freshman classes, no more than maybe 30 people. Freshman studies classes were very large, maybe a hundred people.
0: Okay. So uh, those but were those bigger. were like
1: lecture classes. Those were very much lecture classes and that was totally acceptable and you expected that. Yeah. Um, so at that point I realized that I, I did traveling, commuting to St. Edwards multiple times a week and working a full-time job, which I was, to it at some point, three actually for a while, um, was just. Not gonna happen. Like yeah. my grades were beginning to suffer. I, I was beginning to have a really hard time with it. I had a girlfriend in San Marcos, so I said it's time for me to transfer. Wow! So I transferred to <laughs> Texas State That's University. A lot. A lot
0: going on there.
1: It was a lot. It yeah. was a lot. It was very ill thought out. I acted in many ways on an impulse, and a lot of it came down to I just looked at the bill and went, I can't afford this. Like I just can't afford this. I don't yeah. know where I'm supposed to get the money to cover it. Were you still this.
0: shooting uh concerts and stuff? Were you still shooting shows? Well, or I wasn't like doing that? anything at the time. Is, and like, I didn't even know how to use a camera at that oh, time. Oh, so this is
1: before that. This is gotcha. before that. This is me at 19.
0: So you knew you would have been interested in film and you thought you might want so to be a filmmaker. I was watching a
1: lot, I was trying to write, I was reading a lot. At that point, I felt very comfortable just learning. I was of the I was very much under the impression that. You want to make great art, and that's definitely the way that my 18-year-old self thought of it. You got to have some experience, and at that point I didn't really have any, so I was very content. Life experience. Yeah, but also educational experience that will sort of structure it and maybe possibly prepare you for it. And since St. Edward's had such a sort of strong start, I did believe that there were people who helped
0: prepare you for that in some way. Well, you know, it's funny because I always thought of it, you know, with kids, the kids that did connect with me or with anything that, and it's hard for middle schoolers because they're going through so much other stuff biology wise, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, but, but when they did connect, it it wasn't that I wasn't trying, I was putting it out there. Mm-hmm they latched onto it and for some reason the ones the ones that didn't were bored of course right the ones that did though they latched onto it and then right. of course then they got infinitely more out of it so mm-hmm. it just created this gap between right. and it sounds to me like you valued the idea of an education and so you wanted to seek it out and so therefore found you found your Professor Wake, right? And, and, and if, you're, if you're, it's almost, it's, what I mean by that is just like, if you're looking for it, you probably will find it, you know?
1: Well, that's true to a certain extent. So I certainly found it in the philosophy department of Texas State, um, uh, especially with Professor Guras, that was sort of my mentor, um, and um, especially sort of a newcomer there was Professor Alejandro Barcenas. he was amazing. Are these um,
0: professors all still there now? Uh, Professor. Except for the, you said one passed. Uh,
1: uh, Professor Becker from St. Edwards passed on. I think Professor Cherry is still teaching from Texas State. Uh, Giras, I still keep up with. We get coffee once every two months. Maybe. Oh, that's great. Uh, he retired a few years back. Uh, Barcenas is still there, I think. Yes, he's teaching He was trying to teach political philosophy, especially focus on Machiavelli, and I think he is, in fact, doing that now. Um, The film department was a lot trickier, so I graduated, I could have got a double major in philosophy and English, I decided I didn't want to stay another semester, so I was just going to get a minor in english because honestly i didn't know what the hell i was gonna do with a double major anyway yeah yeah i was like i'm just done
0: i'm tired but, and you and, only took the english classes to to learn to write it so to that learn you learn to write, your thoughts. well here's
1: the thing when i transferred to texas state the film program
0: uh if you will
1: was part of the english department there okay now it was film criticism but there was also a couple of film classes that were sort of they they got advertised as sort of hands-on and you know, some of those people have worked in the industry. Some of them, those people were mostly in the in the in the film department, in the in the theater department, and they're great people. And they did, in fact, get to build a pretty good film department, from what I hear. Uh, as a, like, there's a couple of people I met since then who are like, oh yeah, no, we actually had classes. We had the gear. We actually did the thing and they were able to find me some sort of an internship. And this is what I do now. But at the time that I was going there, they had only a few classes, business for film, directing for film, a couple of other things, but they were very much still in the development process. Okay. And I don't think... I don't know if it was because I was mostly focused on philosophy or whatnot, but I certainly didn't get that much out of it. I certainly came in very combative and as saying, I want to make Antonioni films. And they're like, just write a goddamn short script. But there wasn't, I don't know. I didn't feel like there was a lot of guidance aside from that. So I don't know. I love those guys. That's certainly sort of something that I wish I did better in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, But my focus was first and foremost, Uh, philosophy at that time. At that time, not only I was into philosophy, I was very specifically into analytic philosophy and more specifically into Wittgenstein. And I was really beginning to sort of
0: dive deeper, deeper into that thought. I was getting
1: really interested in very specific things. And
0: look, I mean, I I can actually relate to this a bit. I feel like all filmmakers can kind of relate to the idea of being intrigued by philosophy because you're always asking these big questions. Right. And you're always wondering... If you dig deep enough onto that question, there's never a right answer. Right. You, you unfortunately never find the, the, you're looking for it and you never find well, it. Well, you're
1: never sure what you're going
0: to find. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then it takes you into these other questions. and right. the, And then you realize maybe maybe you make a movie about it. Maybe so, right?
1: Maybe you have a perspective. Yeah. Um, so two kind of big things also happened around that time. One, which was sort of a false lead, uh, Peter Wake, we, he, he taught aesthetics at the time, which I really wanted to take his class, but I transferred out and didn't get to. But we talked about the class a lot, about the content and his office hours. He said, you can't really do philosophy in a film. I was like, well, I dare you. And I say, I will prove you wrong. <laughs> and the older I got, the more I figured out that you, you honestly can You can have a philosophy, I guess, but... Not not in that way. Well, let, well let's... and, and I, I think I, I... I think Godard came closest to having a philosophy with his filmography. Sure. He certainly, I don't know, maybe he bullshitted a lot of it. Maybe. But he certainly had a take and his take was really communicated by shooting stuff and editing it together. Whether it was coherent, again, I'm not sure. I'm sure Richard Brody would say it is. Yeah. Uh, and he would say it's very profound. I'm not sure how profound it is necessarily. Right. Uh, but I certainly think he came the closest.
0: Well, w- whenever you whenever you think of that, so like the idea that you can't, what, did, what was it, what were his words? I don't want to mess it up. You can't, well, I mean, you, I don't remember the exact so,
1: words, but like you can't do philosophy on film the same way you would do philosophy- In I don't a class know, writing or a paper. writing. And it's like, how do you do philosophy? That really does bring up the question of how do you do philosophy? like me be get te- learning the foundations of ethics is that doing philosophy or is that just me learning foundations and would i have to do something original to do philosophy or is it just applying things i learned so i'm not really sure what doing philosophy really means to this day to be perfectly honest with you <laughs> i'm really not
0: um I, I i do think you can explore a philosophy in absolutely. a movie but yeah you can you write probably in the sense that if you just make the movie about philosophy then it better be a documentary about a philosophy for probably well, i mean, I, mean
1: you, I think you can have very much a perspective on life yeah you know yeah, like yeah uh, who comes to mind who's got like a very consistent perspective um
0: where where you, you walk away and you kind of have that sense of it maybe they didn't hammer you over the head with it but right or in some cases maybe they do <laughs> so i
1: feel like this isn't a great example but i'm gonna go with it anyway just because it's on my mind and i don't want to make you pause and go No, through, that's okay and go through imdb looking for the guy uh but someone like uh what's it called someone like denival knew okay like you look at his stuff you look at his movies you look at his choices you look at the way he plots a movie and the way he presents character choices and he certainly seems to have a philosophy mm-hmm. he certainly seems to have that is uh, very much in the texture of the film There is a sort of dystopian view of large capitalist systems that become feudal and take over the world. So do you see that in Dune? I think that's what struck me in the Dune is it seemed not so necessarily far in the future but it seems so familiar and contemporary it's the same thing but on a bigger scale yeah and yeah. that seems scarier than god almost anything else and you see that in Blade Runner 2049 and you see that in Sicario and you yeah. see that in a much more I guess hopeful way in Arrival because you have this alien oh, yeah. race of beings who are it, much nicer
0: than we are. We took it the wrong way in that right. one, right? Yeah. Right. Um,
1: so I definitely think there is a philosophy that you can discern from it. Even if... And I'm really curious what he's going to do with Dune. Because yeah. if you know the story and if you know the parts of the story he's adapting. It's like the story of Paul Atreides is a tragedy. And the first movie ends with such a hopeful oomph of like things are going to get better after this big tragedy of the death of his father. The fall of his house. That... It's like, all right, things are going to get really good. But if you know what's happening, it ain't a white savior story. Right, right. <laughs> it is very much not. Right. And it's going to be the downfall of everyone that's going to cause uh, the deaths of literally billions of people in the real world. Right.
0: And it seems like with with that kind of thing, too, because obviously when, when you talk about Dune and those, you know, Star Wars, same type of thing. You, mm-hmm. you, the, the, you've got this sort of global geopolitics right. at work, but on a... Uh, planetary or right. solar system, you know right and for it's sure. and it's uh it, it, it's scary to think that there could be some truth to it <laughs> and that's when you really start to go uh i thought i was just being entertained here. right
1: right well, but, it, when, they, when they get that visceral reaction out of you you know they got you and yeah. i remember feeling that very well in blade runner 2049 because yeah. it felt so You know, it's a very uncomfortable movie because, like, they did a great job keeping the plot under the wraps. So you don't know that Ryan Gosling's character is not a human being. Right, right. At least not in in the traditional sense. Yeah. And, you know... I recognize the opening. I'm a really big fan of the original. It was one of the first movies I saw only in English. Um, So, watching it again, watching the opening of him coming in in the boiling pot, I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. I've heard all about this from Ridley and all of them from the making of. So, I was very excited. And then to see, oh, this is not a human being. Oh, the girlfriend is not real, but real. It's very performatory. They're doing these things that real people do, but for like, all the different reasons yep. so they have this appearance of all the things we do but is it the same thing what does that even mean i think it made a lot of people feel very uncomfortable and i think that's a good thing
0: yeah i think yeah. that's a
1: very good thing i think that's what great science fiction does or should do should do yeah um, i think
0: so too so to
1: me he's a uh, definitely one of the most exciting filmmakers who uh, i mean i don't think he's necessarily a strong um He has a very strong, like, intellectual... uh, Not not that he's not an intellectual filmmaker. I don't think think he he has a strong intellectual thesis, necessarily. Not someone like Paul Verhoeven, where it's like, no, yeah, he's got a PhD in theology and history. He... He's doing stuff in a very deliberate way. You're looking right. at RoboCop. You're looking at um, Benedetta. It's like, yeah, this is this is coming so, from a very... There's a point being made here. Yes, yes, very much so.
0: Yeah, it seems like in the ones where, where they do... Or at least the ones that I kind of end up enjoying, if they're going to inject some philosophy thing which I, I am attracted to that i usually like it to come out in the form of a question right uh, you know right uh, as opposed to the answer but you know it it's so interesting to think so i can see why there's a crossover with those but so you so you ended up delving more into the philosophy piece during college then
1: i did i did for practical reasons but also that's the other part so the two big things that happen First thing I chose, sort of philosophy, almost by default, because I just, I the the film criticism was fine. I learned some pretty cool stuff. Um, I I saw some great films through that program that I wouldn't otherwise watch. Um, Texas State Library had a great number of Criterion DVDs that I learned a lot of great world cinema through. Uh, I was taught also by. Uh, Rebecca Belmetero, who is, uh, she keeps running for Texas Board of Education. Yep. I hope she wins. Uh, and then uh, the big thing that happened right before I got into college and the reason why I decided to never try to pursue film school and the reason why I think everybody was disarray for the next five, six, seven, eight years, maybe, maybe even a decade, is that there was a little two-part movie that came out called Shep Part 1 and 2.
0: Oh, yeah. It was the
1: first movie shot fully in digital. Yep. And uh, I think it blew up the industry. And I think that's part of history. I don't think that's just my opinion. You realize that you were never going to be working with 35 millimeter cameras and cutting the old fashioned way. It was all going to be nonlinear editing and digital cameras. Uh, did, but did, that technology wasn't exactly accessible. So I shot my first short film in 2013 in San Marcos in a Barcourt Restless Wind, which is no longer there. We shot about a month before it closed. I love it just for the fact that we shot, we have a document of that place. Yeah. Um, But we shot it on a Rebel, Canon Rebel. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time there was... You could even shoot in 1080p, like 2013, this was 2008 that I went to college. It's crazy
0: how it's not that long ago that you couldn't do that. (laughs) Right, so basically
1: for my entire college career, that wasn't really a good way to capture things cheaply. There really wasn't a camera piece of equipment that was available for that capture. There were like... Yeah. yeah they had the iphone but man the video no, no, was yeah, yeah, yeah this is 320p maybe it certainly wasn't 1080 yeah uh the chip was like i mean they're still small but there just wasn't enough anything there um so i feel like if maybe the technology was there things would have been a little better and easier especially not even mirrorless but mirrorless certainly revolutionized a lot of stuff and uh this the rebel certainly certainly did but it was certainly the early prototypes of it, that were much more useful for photos, which is funny. Um, That's a a little personal side note. The Canon Rebel is a great starter pack camera for a lot of people. However, it is awful for learning how to actually use a camera. Because if you want to shoot things manually, there isn't an easy way to do that. You can't just choose your aperture or your ISO on the go you have to go into the menu and change it here and there oh. and there there is no because the 70d you could absolutely yeah, yeah. and I'm still very I love the layout of that camera I love yeah. the way it holds in my hand I will take it over the Sony any day even though I'm a Sony man throwing through now yeah I love that camera that is that is what fits most naturally into this hand that's so
0: funny you're saying that because I, I have that same exam- we, we've got the same experience because I've I I ha- I'm Sony now too but that's mainly because of what you can do with it you want to work with people
1: you want to be a b cam operator that's what you got to have it just is right yeah
0: and just in the low light, I guess all of them are getting good in low light, though. But but they are particularly good in low light. Yeah, the A7S
1: II was the that, that first camera just, that broke everything. Yeah, yeah, really broke.
0: I couldn't believe that right. it, this was seeing in the dark. But but yeah, yeah, going back to that 70D, I shot. So the whole first feature film we did was all shot two 70Ds. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, yeah. and uh, Eric was the cinematographer. Oh, on that, yeah. actually. So but we we. I really remember just how easy and nice it was to like once I knew the camera I knew that I didn't have to yeah. think anymore there was it was just quick it, and easy. so natural right yeah 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 my mom still actually shoots with that she kept, she kept hers and, your mom shoots she, yeah she yeah we so my mom writes as well we're actually we're well we're, that's yeah, awesome that's kind of how I probably that's really how I came about oh, that's it. fantastic yeah. uh but yeah, yeah. I mean it, when we talk, talk about cameras that's crazy because So, and that was, 70D was such a good one for both photo and video, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was the first like autofocus you could mess with, you know. Absolutely, which
1: is why, which is why we bought it. So basically we were looking to buy a camera uh, and by we, I mean, Philip, he kind of had the money. I did not have the money. Yeah, And Chris has always been good about getting the job that he's at to buy him whatever he wanted. Yeah. So he's always had the latest tech. So Philip was like, all right, so everyone's telling me I need to buy A Sony a7s2, but like, yeah, the 70D is like a quarter of that price. So I think I know what's it gonna be. So this is just what we're gonna do. And honestly, as far as photo, making experience goes the 70G is a much better photo camera than the a 7s oh yeah I mean Far it's a less. tiny sensor can, it's 12 can, megapixels canon might
0: I mean still still photography is Canon <sighs> I don't know I don't follow them anymore honestly I just got, I yeah. got
1: really disappointed with their first with the first mirrorless uh their mirrorless their some of their first mirrorless cameras were just god awful in okay. my opinion. I thought the interface never- was terrible the battery life was god awful All the photos were soft, which I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's got that nice vintage look. But the same, the vintage look, it's just not sharp.
0: Yeah. It's just
1: not sharp. That's all it is. Yeah. The low light capability were awful. When I was shopping around for a camera, when I got my tech job and I was like, all right, I've been running gear for years now. It's time to buy it. Yep. I wanted to get... A five D Mark IV. Like I wanted it to be that camera. Yeah. I was rooting for it, and I got it. I, I rented it. I got the fancy tried lens it. with it, and I tried the photo, and I tried the video, and then I got a seven III. That's what which I is got. what I have now. And I was like, "There's just no competition. Yeah, like you just can't compare these two. The Mark IV is a is a behemoth." Yeah. It's so heavy. Yeah. it is. The battery life is awful. It overheats all the time. Yep. The uh, low light capabilities are... They're just not there. Mm. The slow-mo, like the video capabilities are just not there. Uh, it was just kind of no competition. I had to go with the Sony. Uh, I... And now there's so many different versions of Sony's and oh, yeah. none of them actually do all the things you want them to do, it is so frustrating. They, they,
0: it's like, and I know they gotta be doing it. It's like, we gotta oh, justify do, this price point, so we'll leave this one yeah. thing off. It's you like, know?
1: just give me a goddamn mirrorless camera that can do 60p <laughs> and 4K. What is your goddamn problem? Like, that's what I need, that's what I Did you get that FX30
0: yet? Have you looked at that one? I have not looked at that look yet. Look at that one. Well, it's well like,
1: does it do it, steals as well? It, well, and here's
0: the thing. Just give take, it to me. It, like. it does. It's 26 megapixel, but you got no EVF. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so see- That was the first thing. Yeah, Because I, yeah, yeah. I ended up buying that A7 IV. Oh, Which I'm very right. happy with. It's an it, excellent camera. But between the two things, you can do both, right? Yeah. So the the b, the, the second version, second camera, I was looking at the FX30 because I didn't, I don't need an EBF on both of them. I right. can use that one. So it was, but but yeah, the first day that came out, I was looking at it, going, well, now this is a reasonable price point, and this is doing some really cool stuff. Why the fuck don't they just have an? evf on there i mean come
1: on (laughs) yep uh and i uh you know i was i was ready to get them i was ready to drop the money i really wanted to get me an fx6 but you just can't get them yeah you just cannot get them now there's a backlist god like i know eric Eric
0: got one so he he got one he got one but he had put he forgot he put in for it (laughs) And they called him and he was like, He's like, do you have oh. the money? What? Yeah, and he's like, I'll, I'll figure it oh, out. So he got it, it. Heated That's heated awesome, it. Yeah. I'm so happy for him, yeah. Yeah, so, but man, it is crazy what, what video-wise those things will do. You can nerd out about it for a long time. It was just like, wow, look at that You can, guy. you can.
1: But at the end of the day, they're tools. I like to keep it that way. There was a time when yeah. I wanted to buy all of the gear. I wanted all of the lenses and all of this stuff. And honestly, if that's what you do full-time for a living, it makes sense. Yeah uh for someone like me who kind of does a bit of everything it makes sense to have a workhorse yep and then you want something
0: special i'll rent it right. It's fine it's very easy to it's, rent like i can it's actually this. not that expensive no either i can one.
1: spend 50 dollars renting this for the weekend or i can spend three thousand dollars for this lens guess yeah. which one i'm gonna do yep and you know the people who did move on to do this full-time totally makes sense and you know what maybe that is the chance Some that that is the jump some people need I don't yep. i I did not figure that I did not think that that would justify it. that is why I have not made that jump yeah and and maybe that will that might be the answer to all the questions I do not think that it is I do think it takes other other uh <laughs> variables yeah to to get my foot planted firmly in that area, yeah uh which is why I'm still in the gray zone where it's moonlighting and not.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about that because one of the things that got me tipped off to the idea that we needed to do this podcast. Sorry was, for all the
1: tangents. No, no. The
0: tangents are great. I love the tangents. It's all, you know, um, but that was one of the things we were sitting there right before our screening mm-hmm. and we're talking. Did you expect to win? No, necessarily. I didn't. I mean, I never expect to win. I, right. I I just always, I just always. I have to say this. I yeah. remember
1: we did it. I was. I feel like I was a fairly small part of it. You know, yeah. you guys did all the rehearsals, Eric and you and you guys yeah. came up with all the stuff yourself. And when he asked me to be a part of it, I said, I'll be happy to be a part of this. I hope I can contribute something of value. Of And course. so I was basically the B cam. I basically captured, uh, I was the second camera on that. Um, and I was great fun to capture. And I was rem- just remember going, God, how how is this sound going to come through? This is insane. This is open street. Right. This is so and it loud. It
0: was loud as shit. It was all around, so us.
1: loud. It was. It was also in the, between two very tall buildings, so and the sound was just
0: bouncing. They had somebody out there doing a power washing. He was like, power "Oh, washing. the power washing yeah. that would not cease." Oh my yeah. God! And it's just, what are you going to do?
1: Wait three hours? Yeah. of course not. Um, so I was like, there's no way this is gonna turn out well. Jesus Christ. And then he sent us the cut and I went, oh my God, this is amazing. You know? This is insane. Like I like it's literal magic as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and well, I, don't, I don't know much about the audio. I do now now that I produced the full short film of my own and I'm still in awe of what Eric did with popsicles when it came to audio mixing. It yeah. is incredible.
0: Yeah. So was I, um, it, it, honestly, there was that I, I I did because I've worked with him so many times. I did know that he would figure it out Mm -hmm. somehow. Um, I I I knew that he would. I didn't know if he was going to figure it out to get it exactly the way he wanted it. Right. But I knew that he would figure something out. Right. And uh, and for the most part, he didn't. He called me to do one line. He only had me to do, redo one line. Oh wow. Which okay. was that's not always the case, you know. Right. And, and so, uh, and as far as like winning the 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 award went, I I, I hadn't even considered.
1: You didn't even know there was a prize? I no, I didn't <laughs> No, I didn't.
0: I just kind of was happy that it was that we. It, anytime you get to get together with the people that you made the movie with and go show it at a place that has a decent screen, or a, right. in this case, a theater. And uh, was it was yeah, it was awesome. It was great.
1: Do you yeah. go to AFS often?
0: Uh, I haven't gone a bunch. I, I go here and there. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've definitely been there before, but it was right. funny. I had forgotten uh, that that was actually a part of AFS. Oh, okay, I think the last time I'd gone. I went for someone else's screening and uh-huh. I just kind of was like, oh, here's a theater over here. But then I, and then I realized, oh, that's the same, the same one. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So that was actually the first movie I theater that I went to when the theater started kind of opening up during the pandemic. Okay. So when the, the theater started originally opening up, I went and I saw Akira Kurosawa's Ran. Okay. And that was a pretty magnificent experience. That was also very anxiety-driven because you're like, wow, this is a sold-out uh, yeah, experience and we're sitting during a pandemic with our masks on. And the they like, of it, right? Yeah. Ooh, that was rough. And it's not like the movie makes you feel any better because it's nah. basically Macbeth. No, it's not Macbeth. It's uh, King Lear. Yeah. So basically, things just kind of get progressively worse for yeah. the entire three hours. Um,
0: But yeah, sorry. No, I, well, so in the, in that instance, in the, in the instance of that evening, what mm-hmm. I, what I remembered you saying was, and I don't remember how it even came up, but you just said, I, I was like, so you work and this is through, you worked contract work in the mm-hmm. tech world through Google, right? Yeah. And so I was asking about that. And then I was like, obviously I knew you were a <laughs> filmmaker and you said, yeah, but honestly, I'm not too sure how much longer I'm going to be making films.
1: Right. Well, working in video, working in video. So before I yeah, moved tell to, me about that. <laughs> well, so there was that. There was a lot of movement there. So at first, I went from doing films to doing video work. And video work may not may sound a lot less sexy uh, because a lot of it is just work. People are like, are you excited oh, to work on the gig? It's like, I mean, as a gig's a gig. You know, it pays well. It's a job. It's a job like any other. It's yeah. not it doesn't have to be exciting, right? Yep. You may prefer it for a number of reasons. Maybe it's better hourly rate pay. Maybe you prefer just doing that kind of work. There's a whole number of reasons there, right? But like, there was a, a, a definitely the idea, an idea that like you're not just going to be making films, right? Like you're going to have to do video work, and you're going to have to get good at that, and maybe you will get an opportunity to work on films to some extent at whatever scale. Yeah. And and you know that was a hard pill to swallow at you know 22 or whatever. Uh, uh, but honestly that was just vanity because I wasn't working in the film industry or anything like that. I was just barely a college. I yeah. was about to be a college graduate, mostly with philosophy yeah. in my under my belt. Um, so by the time I got to Austin, it was I was very comfortable with the idea of, I'm gonna be working on advertising. I'm gonna be working on music videos. I'm gonna be working with other artists. And I was very excited by the prospect of Collaboration again. I was very excited to work with other people and not staring at a piece of paper trying to write or something like that. um So by the time I kind of cut up to this, it was very much I'm not sure how much longer I'll be doing video, not necessarily film. And at okay. this point, I'm not even sure what film means. It's great to work on I know. short films, I know. but i'm not i'm just not sure what that even means in texas right I know. <laughs> and if people are like oh so you're gonna go hollywood and you're like man you're people don't even understand that if you want to work in the industry you don't even go to hollywood anymore you go to atlanta
0: right so you right. want a
1: proper steady job Is where you go right yeah uh, that's where they make the marvel films that's where so much
0: stuff gets done isn't that incredible and it is it, it's really you know, is
1: incredible. It really is incredible that that community got so much out of it. Yeah. Uh and that is a community I'm almost completely unfamiliar with. Right. You know, I've right. been through Georgia. I've never stopped there. I don't know much yeah. about no,
0: it. it's pretty cool. It's it, yeah, I I've been a, I've been a couple of times, but yeah, mm-hmm. I would not have thought that if ever I wanted to like work in this steady like prof- I'm going to say the word professional. I hate the word, but uh-huh. I'm going to use it anyway in this sort of bigger film world that that would be a spot you right. know,
1: certainly not like in the early t- 2000s right right right, um, right so yeah i i you know it, essentially you found me at a point in my life where i just sort of finished sort of a short film i haven't worked on short films very much in a long time i helped make a few along the way and i uh, helped uh shoot one i was uh, sort of trained as an ac on one in April, right after South By, I kind of got together with a few people. Uh, I think all of them live in Austin now. So Nate Moskovitz, he's the director. He's a theater director. Honestly, pretty amazing director. Yeah. He knows how to motivate people. He knows how to do stuff. And he got helped by um, Angela Hare. Uh, who's a, they are a great cinematographer out of uh, here, Austin, Texas. Operating here and in New York, I think. So I'm not sure where they're based in mostly now and you guys
0: okay. did a short film together or in, you worked uh, on yeah it?
1: called all in texas i'm not i don't think it's out yet i think they're still editing it and we shot it in sweetwater texas oh cool yeah so we went out there we were on a ranch um wild hog right ran- yeah, yeah. uh, wild hog hunting ranch uh we were there for two or three days i think we had one day of shooting here and two days there and then we came back. So that was the sort of my first entry into like, oh yeah, we're doing this. And we're doing this at a level that I've honestly never done before. Like we're using equipment that I am, I do not know. Okay. Uh, I got to learn a lot of grip stuff while I was working sort of in partnership with 512 Brewing. Uh, it was a guy named James Epp and he wanted to do live music there. And I said, I want to shoot it with you. And uh, he said, okay, I'll bring the acts and you kind of do the video. Yeah. And so we—that's what we did. He brought the acts, I brought on a second uh, videographer. He, James, kind of got two other guys later on, and uh, we got gear from. At first, we rented it all our own money. Uh, lights, cameras. We did a 1080p for a while. Um, just kind of record a multicam. It got recor- The sound got recorded by audio by a guy named Dante.
0: So you were able to get that and yeah. yeah, it. Yeah,
1: it was a big challenge because we recorded it in different parts of the brewery and it's not the most ideal sure, sound, yeah. but I certainly learned a lot about how to light stuff, how to cut, I learned how to cut cutting multi-cam video. I had to, it gave me some good habits about timing, I feel like, and it gave me some terrible habits about how to organize footage that I had to overcome, oh. especially during a short film of my own that I've done. Um. So that, that, that kind of came to an end right as the pandemic kicked in. Okay, so that, um, that's
0: 2020, right there? 2020,
1: there were some other conflicts of interest, personal conflicts of interest that just weren't working out. So we kind of had to sit down. It was like, all right, this isn't going to work out. And then the pandemic hit literally next week. Uh, a big part of what happened is that um, I had a lot going on. I had a music video and a photo shoot. After full days of full weeks of work, so I went to shoot this photo gig and I did not have the time to drop off all this gear at home. So I parked the car, said it's gonna be two hours, gonna be fine. I'm gonna go take some photos, get the car, get four or five hours of sleep and don't go get ready for this goddamn music video. What happened is that somebody broke into my car and stole half the gear oh no no they didn't steal the camera the Reynolds? rentals rentals oh, yeah shit. and but here's the problem they didn't just steal the rentals they stole my backpack which had my glasses because it was wearing contact lenses they had my laptop and they had all of my drives 10 terabytes worth of data very stupid i carried it all with me because i was working on this stuff all the time between austin public my home uh and <sighs> coffee shops and work i always had it on me because i kind of always had to work on it because I was always, you know, cause I had that full-time job. I just couldn't commit to necessarily just one location of working. Yeah. So I just had it on me and they broke in and I I located them through the app and the cops uh, said, we don't have probable cause cause this is an apartment. It could be downstairs or upstairs. So we're not gonna go You know in. it's
0: somewhere in there, but you don't know who it is. Yeah, I don't know
1: whether it's A or B. And they said, yeah. too bad, go fuck yourself. Oh uh, uh, no! I gave them. They couldn't. They could. They couldn't. They wouldn't. They would. So they're a spawning officer.
0: Uh, they're basically they, begging for you to sit out there and wait for somebody to walk which out. Which I did the entire
1: you. night, and then I went to shoot the music video. And nothing came of it. Um, they misspelled my name three ways. And look, I gave them my driver's license. All right, uh, I, I, I feel very comfortable going on record and saying that I am not a. Not very impressed with APD. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just not. Yeah. A big fan. Yeah. Um, So you never got this shit back? No, I had to pay for it. I had to pay for it out of pocket. Oh, shit. Uh, But the biggest thing is that all of that data from 512 Brewing, we called it Seller Sessions, tens of thousands of photographs maybe more like all gone gone. just gone straight up gone all gone unless it was sent to somebody or in somebody else's drive or saved or whatever it's just gone it does no longer exist and that sad part is like that's the shit that the people who stole the stuff didn't have any use for no they probably threw that away yeah it's like what are you gonna i mean they might have sold it but it's like it's one of those things where it's like i just that's the thing I missed the most, obviously. Right, right. Um, so that so was the that end was... of Seller Sessions. But it was a great workshop where I learned how to... Well, I, I definitely learned when to pay attention and when to take... This is when I why I stopped doing concert photography. I had that to focus on. I had my own sort of show that I kept kind of building over the years. You know, first we started 1080p. Well, first time we did it, I had one camera. I had my 70D and then they had a cell phone. And I was like, well, I can just shoot the main person i can shoot lisa jesse chief cleopatra doing this thing and then you can do whatever else and if you have anything good i'll cut it to it but otherwise i'm just gonna stay on the lead singer man all right and i've worked with lisa quite a few times uh since then so the idea of going out and shooting more shows just kind of we always thought that we might grow that later on but it just kind of never never went beyond a certain point but i certainly learned a lot from there and it's one of the biggest things you can learn is when to take a photo and when not to take a photo. Right. You know, when they're this close to the microphone, don't take a photo, there's no point. Yeah. Their face is covered. Their there's faces. nothing interesting to take a photo
0: of. <laughs> that's such uh, a good point, man. And how many times, do you, and I do this all the time, where you take, I'm like, why was I taking pictures right there? Just stop, just chill for a Cause minute. Cause it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, Cause yeah, it sounds amazing yeah. and
1: you're like, that's what's gonna be good. But that doesn't necessarily make for a good shot. Yeah. Um. So so that was sort of the boot camp for learning all the grip stuff and then Angela took it to a different level and was like, all right, this is when you use this, this is how you use that. And then um, Becca was a very seasoned AC who's a friend of theirs basically gave me a boot camp and if you're an AC, this is what you do. And the number one thing, of course, is the if the DP steps away from the, from the camera, it doesn't matter if there's an earthquake, an atomic bomb, you do not take your hands off the camera. Like <laughs> it sounds very silly, but like that is, is the number one rule, right? Role, right? Yeah. Um, so that was great. That was a very industry experience in a way. Yeah. And I can't wait to see that film. I really can't wait. I think the actor did an amazing job. I think everybody did a great job. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And at that time, I was already in rehearsal for my short
0: film. So the short film... And this is already pandemic, so you're rehearsing... This is...
1: Well, so this is early this year. Okay, okay. So this is early. This is late last year. We started talking about it. We realized it's the end of the year. Let's just kind of start a little later okay so So this must have been right
0: before i would have met you then yeah yeah this
1: is around february well we shot the short film in april and we've been in rehearsal since about february we wanted to keep going through march but south by southwest came in and so the short film started off as an idea that uh, my friend philip had and he um wrote the script and then he didn't really have the bandwidth to do a couple of more versions i said well can i just take the idea and run with it he said
0: all right sure without I a bunch more rewrites or whatever yeah and like... i said
1: tight well i'm not gonna write anything yeah i work so one of the musicians i work with a lot colt wayne keeney he I is saw one of the
0: videos yeah yeah
1: he's an actor and i know him from texas state and he i that's how i know a lot of people here actually is a lot of people here from texas state. yeah and uh, one of the actors he knew was sam Brett howard and he is here and uh he think he I hmm, haven't caught up with him in a bit but he was working for Rooster Teeth last time I checked in with him okay. Um, and so they both did the improv together very structured improv in college uh, I forget the name of the squad they had but um, I said okay so here's the idea um, basically guy walks into a barber shop asks for a close shave straight razor And then you realize or one of them or both realize that they know each other and one of them might have some beef with the other, the other, you know, and things escalate from there. And and and, and that was the idea. That was sort of the idea. I I knew the beats I wanted to go through and they sort of changed as we started rehearsing. And so um, Colt played the uh, customer, the client. And Sam played the barber. And so I, it's two-person? Two two-person. Two, there's no one else. Yep. No, it's just Not even as a voice. There's no, no one, one else. else. Just two people. It's a two-person. And that's what appealed to me. Yeah. I said, we can develop this script through rehearsal. I love that. And uh, when we feel like we're ready, we're ready. We'll shoot it. And so we rehearsed it for, I believe, three months. Honestly, two months because we didn't really do anything in March because it was South by and Colt was very busy as a musician during South by. And I was busy as a videographer. That's when I met. That Eric. is when I met Eric. OK. Doing the we Skillshare. We were
0: doing the Skillshare gig. Yeah. Well, OK. So, so and I want to talk about this because this is interesting to me about as, as, as far as the mm-hmm. process. I'm always interested in how people go about making their movies. So you're going through rehearsals. You've got your rehearsals going. You've got your actors for three months. You're in rehearsals. What is it? during that three months are you are that you as the director Mm -hmm. what were you most concerned with or actually what 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 would have been the thing that would have said okay i know we're ready to shoot so
1: this is where i guess the tech experience came in right so one thing that i learned before i even became get got into tech is i i worked at jimmy johns a very long time and i eventually made my way up as general manager and that's a pretty Crazy environment. Yeah, we were the only place open past eleven o'clock, mm-hmm. and we we're open till three a.m. on the square. Oh wow! Um, in <laughs> San Marcos, downtown, all late night. around all of it. Yeah, and I was a delivery driver till three a.m. It's a very hostile work environment. Yeah, it builds a very particular kind of camaraderie, and it takes a very particular person to sort of lead that sort of shift and tell people what to do and kick people out. Right. Uh, we're talking like as a driver I've had to kick people out very physically I used to come in with my crowbar and it was a very intense experience (laughs) quite frankly Uh, and I think all the people if they were listening to this would be like oh man do we have some stories I'm sure
0: I'm sure um
1: so I, I learned that I was I liked leading people I liked and I had a knack for it, if you will. Um, and I definitely got to refine that in tech because it's very structured. So I definitely approached this project more like a project manager. Ah. I have two, I, I didn't think of them as assets, but I did think of them as two very different kinds of people. Colt comes in and you know he'll just riff, he'll improvise. He doesn't need too much preparation. Um, I mean he does but not in that way and, and and sam is the opposite he needs to map it down he needs to have everything written down he's he's gonna be prepared he first time i had a conversation with him before and told him what it was gonna be he came and prepared and he blew my mind right
0: away that's crazy right it, it's and, crazy how actors are so different like that yeah, yeah yeah and i think at the
1: end of march actually it was the end of the skillshare gig we're supposed to have uh a rehearsal and it kept running late and it kept running late and it kept running late and both colt and sam went to my place and colt had to leave and sam was like well i do want to talk to you so i get there and he kind of he kind of leaned on me and he was like you're not doing your job as a director oh
0: shit what and i was (laughs) like
1: well i fucked up i was like all right so what do you need for me he's like well i need you to tell me what you want from me in the scene? Like, what's my scene motivation? What's my more general motivation? He wanted a very classical approach, which I'm like, I haven't done this in so long, I don't even remember what this shit is. So I had to like get a few books and read them and such, and some of them that uh, that Sam recommended. And he was absolutely right. I was giving Colt what he needed because I have a very particular that's what- rapport with Colt. I.
0: Well, that's what he needed, that's, right? Yeah, uh, but I certainly
1: was not prepared for an for an actor who wanted direction who I who I could give direction to. Um, this is such in, a in great way.
0: great uh, lesson.
1: And and it was a very yeah it was a very different, very contrasting experiences. So, in many ways, my job was to sort of I knew what beats I wanted them to heat to hit and I knew what motivations they should have and my job in many ways was to sort of limit the amount of details that wanted to go and I was like, no, no, no it doesn't matter what actually happened in the bag and we just need to know that something happened you had this reaction to it and you had that reaction to it and you never resolved that so this is a point of contention a point of tension that's going to come up in this situation and we need to feel it nobody needs to say what it is but you need to show it through acting and I need to show it through filmmaking yeah um, so so rehearsing it what ended up happening what I ended up doing is giving them nudges in which direction I wanted them to go and so then we they shot it then they did it a full run five times I recorded each one I said all right thank you see you later I transcribed all of those things I looked at them I read them I went "Uh uh-huh and then I kind of combined several, two versions out of it. I basically said, I like this part. I like that part. I like this part.
0: Now this is still just rehearsals, right? This is just rehearsals, right? You, you shot the rehearsal to try to get, yeah. okay, gotcha. And
1: so at that point I said, this is the, what I want. Uh, th- these are the words that I want. Now I'm going to start putting my interpretation on them. This is where I want the first point of tension. Cause a lot of it is about sort of the passing of power. Who has the power, mm-hmm. you know? Because for the most of it, it's the client who has the power, but the person who wants the attention is the person with the razor blade. Sure. And that creates the tension of what's he going to do and how far can each one push and how uncomfortable is the conversation going to get. So it came down to sort of picking the right pieces of dialogue and exposition or whatever have you, for the right dramatic moments and then getting them to be comfortable with the dialogue to where it sounded like something they would say
0: yeah 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 so and they to, were they were saying the lines they were sticking to the lines oh though. absolutely yeah uh
1: which you i mean some of it's not there but i want to say 90 to 95 yeah. percent of what is said in the final short film is what was written on the page okay very much yeah. so
0: and yeah, so that and that is that is something I really do think, you know, when you're working with a script, uh, it just does seem to help.
1: Not well, we only had a system. day to shoot,
0: so we had to
1: stick to it. We had one day for a technical rehearsal at Kirby's Barbershop where we ran through the whole thing a bunch of times and we lit it and we shot it and we figured out what could and could not work. Yeah, yeah. And some of it we were a little too optimistic about. Some things worked, some things didn't. And all of it worked. We got the whole full coverage, I think. Yeah. Um, but we did only have the one day to shoot it. So you don't have too much room for experimentation. Yep. And you do have people in this very specific configuration of one standing over the other. And they' are shaving or lathering going on where the actions and the dialogue absolutely has to match otherwise there's nothing you can do with it yeah yeah, like, yeah you, you could know. have
0: some serious continuity issues yeah there. You, yeah and not
1: yeah. that 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 was a that was a <laughs> that was a lot to deal with honestly he was actually supposed to be shaving him through the whole thing and we decided basically the day of the technical rehearsal so, yeah it's silly he should. This should be a stop and go until the last minute, minute and a half with a short film, right before he decides to slice his throat.
0: So <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, well, you don't actually. You, you I, don't mean, he? He? I mean, does he? Does he? I mean, in my
1: idea, there was always going to be a slice, and in the editing room, I. I mean, it's, I think it's very much obvious that he's going to slice his throat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very obvious. He put a razor
0: blade in that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: like the guy is. Like, there's. There's a whole moment to. There's a few moments there to elevate that, but it just felt cheap to kind of just give it to you. Uh, I think it was very obvious what was going to happen. So it felt more, it felt a bit more aesthetically pleasing to imply it than to show it. Yeah
0: that's um, always a question for me with, with with anything violent i think i think more and i think for? eric
1: will have quite a lot of things to say about that yeah. we had a long discussion about it before he saw
0: what i had he yeah, said, i want to see it by the way he was he actually told me i was i saw him yesterday and he was like have you seen it yet i said no he hadn't sent. he goes i think he goes i think he can I, would i be able to see a copy of it yeah okay cool
1: yeah absolutely yeah
0: i um, think i'm pretty sure he's like yeah i'm sure he you'd he, be good with seeing it yeah yeah
1: uh yeah so the i mean all i want the audience to sort of think they're and, and i don't have a problem talking about it and spoiling it first of all i don't care about spoilers no ever. i don't either i never do either like, even with big things i never care yeah. about them it's like it's always about the journey not the destination yeah. for me but sometimes the spoilers
0: make me want to watch it more i'm like exactly. oh shit i want to get there yeah precisely yeah.
1: um so i think the question of there is what i want them to what i want the audience to get out of the last sort of two minutes there is like would he want to and he uh, what i want him to consider is that he would definitely want to do it and he would definitely very strongly think about slicing his throat yeah whether he did or not i think is actually relevant in the context of the film the fact that he wanted to and the fact that there's this tension that is unresolved in these two points of view that just you can't reconcile is yep. the important part of it
0: i would say well man with your philo- with your philosophy background Taking two I, points of view and trying to find a way not to reconcile it. That should kind of you know, fit I, right in the wheelhouse, but, I would think. It's
1: kind of funny because like, people are like, oh, what's it about? I was like, oh, it's a genre piece. It's a straight genre piece. It's just, I mean, We're trying to build tension. And if you feel some tension, fantastic. We succeeded. I never really had any.
0: Uh, Philosophical. Bigger
1: aspirations aside from that. But one thing I really do love in philosophy, and this is definitely something that comes through my love for. Wittgenstein in particular, but especially with the continental people uh philosophers especially like Merleau-Ponty, is ambiguity yeah I, I that's one thing where as an as as an analytically trained philosopher or not uh, undergraduate I don't think of myself yeah. as a philosopher at all uh, but as a I I am very interested in ambiguity because it's a very real thing yeah that is the space in which we exist as people most of the time most we, of the time. Yeah having a certainty about this or that is just sort of not tenable right like it just doesn't make sense that's just not how we live our lives yeah and i i I mean i don't know and people who say they do i I would think that they're i would i would i would tend to think they're more delusional that they're in control of all the faculties of uh, all all variables that are at their disposal to be honest with you
0: right that's like the you know if you walk away from something and you just did. And somebody goes, well, how did it go? And you're like, a lot of times I'm like, I think it went well. I got me. I don't right. know. Sure. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm yeah. like,
1: I'm feeling pretty okay now. Yeah, but, yeah, like, but now yeah. that you're asking
0: me, I guess I could probably delve in and find something that, you know, right. So that's, that's it. I, I'm, I'm on the same page with that. Any, any movie that, that can find a creative way to have that exist mm-hmm. naturally between characters or whatever, right. man, I'm usually blown away. I'm like, all right, that's, that's where I want to be. Well, I
1: hope you like it. I hope yeah. you like the short. I will yeah. we'll find out if it got into t- South by Southwest 2023 sometime in February. Okay. So all right. It got submitted. I made the deadline, um, the day of. That's great. <laughs> um, I, uh, so yeah. So what happened was that I, we shot it in early June and I was working my regular job. I was also doing a lot of translation work. At the time, I by the end of it, I felt so just exhausted. Yeah, And I, I, I felt like I did not get the footage I needed to get. I felt very, I don't know, I didn't feel very confident in my direction just because I was tr- wearing so many hats. I was the producer. I paid for basically the entire thing, which was great. Was there I anyone else on set it?
0: with you when you were? Yeah, so okay. I didn't
1: shoot it. So, I mean, I certainly, but yeah no i i brought in my friend amir afugar he was the dp uh he was there for the technical rehearsal he was there for um, i mean the technical rehearsal was pretty much for him and i to figure out how we're gonna shoot this thing yeah and he was there for one or two rehearsals before that while we were doing it at colt's house um and then we had my friend graham young to sort of shoot uh, help shoot everything else and then um a mutual friend who's um in coldsbane in hinkle who is i don't know pretty big name in texas cinema uh he's he's i think his dad wrote texas chainsaw massacre
0: yeah uh, yeah i actually took his dad kim hinkle yeah yeah i took he he taught at anim corpus oh that's and awesome I took his screenwriting class that's How- what actually got me to up and moved to LA and want to try to oh, start in this past. Yeah, that's so amazing. his son
1: uh, yeah. did the
0: audio. He he, okay. he recorded that's the amazing. audio. Oh wow, what a For the short film. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, um,
1: and uh, Kirby's Barber House, uh, which Kirby's it's a plural because it's him and his son. Um, they lived there and his son was out of town and Kirby was just chilling in the back the entire time. Uh, and then when we were ready, he like, oh, so you want me to just shave? I was like, yeah, yeah. Cause we're not going to get this guy to actually right, shave. Right. I'm like, we're not, no, no, no. Play my like,
0: straight razor. He was like tight. All
1: right. Well, I'll do it then. Um, and he did a great job and we had to crop in cause he's got the full sure. sleeves of tats, sure. which Sam does not. Um, but I think, I think it's fairly seamless. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was all that was, it wasn't, there was not a lot of people there. Uh, so me, Amir, Sam, Colt, Graham, and Ian. Okay. Six people. Small. Yeah. yeah. So we finished it. I think everybody was just absolutely devastatingly exhausted by it. Yeah. You know, we did 12 hours of rehearsal and then we did, you know, 12 hours of shooting the next day. And of course, cold being cold, which I think this will add to the myth of his persona, the artiste. Cause yeah. he's a great artist, but he's yeah. also a wild man. I don't think anybody can tell you that. And some of my favorite photos I've taken, which if you looked at my website. I, did, I saw, I know. There's really one is, yeah. of a guy in a plastic bag popping yep. out. Yep. That's him yep. popping out in the nude, out of a trash can, yeah. a trash bag. <laughs> uh, probably one of the favorite photos I've ever taken. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> photos I've taken and uh, yeah. So he was very much in that mode on the technical rehearsal day. I was supposed to go pick up the gear and then go pick him up, which he lived right next to them, and then go get coffee. And I knocked on the door, nothing. I knocked on the window, nothing. Call, nothing. I was like, all right, this is not good. His truck is here, but that don't mean shit. Oh, wow. And eventually I banged on the motherfucker so hard, he did open the door, open the door, it goes, and, and I, but the door didn't open. i heard it click. So open the door, swing it open, and I just see him buck ass naked standing, clearly still drunk. <laughs> Just like, hey Baba, how you doing? I'm like, oh God almighty. it's It's the day of the technical rehearsal. Of course, I'm like, all right, this I mean, I of course this is what's happening. I was like, how about this? You go clean up, I'm gonna go get coffee and some kolaches So I went to Quacks around the corner. Yep. And then we went to pick up more gear and eventually got in. But that was that was the beginning. So by the time I was done with that, I was so tired. Not just from that, but also from the technical, uh, from the translation work that I've been doing, uh, that I I couldn't even look at it for another few months. Now, thankfully-
0: Before you started to edit it?
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Amir wanted to get something pretty quickly for his reel. And so he cut something together and that motivated me. And it's not that what he did was bad. It was pretty damn good, but it just wasn't what I had in mind. Yeah, I started playing around with it. Now, the thing that, I was nervous, the most nervous about was um, the last minute and a half. And so what happens in the last minute and a half is after the client called, tells off, kind of goes off, finally says, had enough of the barber's bullshit and just calls him a fucking loser to his face basically. And he's like, you either fucking shave me now or I'll get the fuck out of here. He's like, sorry, man, I'll just shave you. And we kind of, we, we, we had this moment where Sam was like, hey, you know, <sighs> We have this dialogue, and it's clearly supposed to be sort of a monologue. And like, yes, I get that he shouldn't be paying attention to me, and I'm kind of talking to myself as he's on the phone. Yeah. But like, what if we did that as a voiceover instead? And I was like, fuck. Let me think on. That. I was. Like, my immediate reaction was to be like, I don't know about that. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, and <sighs> the and, and and the movie. Popped into my mind. A movie from the 50s. I don't know how to pronounce it properly. It's a 50s uh, noir film from France called uh, Darshbaugh, Grisby. Hands off the loot. That's the English Okay, okay. Hands off the loot. A a great actor who was in uh, The Great Illusion. What's his name?
0: Uh, The... I know I'm picturing exactly the the movie to the cover of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh. So...
1: So I remember Roger Ebert's review, <laughs> and he said, you know, about halfway through the movie, you get this amazing scene that you just would not expect of it, where everything goes quiet and you get a little voiceover where the main character complains about his best friend. Okay. Because he just got him into a whole bunch of trouble and films just kind of didn't do that because there is no other voiceover in the film. And he's like, "And the thing about it is that it works. I'm like, well... I kind of painted myself into this corner where I need to communicate this. I need to communicate this guy's frustration. I need to communicate that this guy is a little off. I need to communicate that this guy, in his mind, has already done time for the thing he's about to do. Because he's already spent time in prison for an incident involving his brother where the other guy walked away from because he was a football player. That's sort of the backstory. Yeah. The client and him used to run with his brother, small town, which Sam is from around Corpus Christi area. Oh, not Corpus okay. Christi. I think it was somewhere southwest of it. Okay. I don't okay. quite remember. Okay. Is he
0: from the valley? Like Not yeah, quite. Not, not quite far. the valley. I know the Kingsville. valley. Kingsville? Somewhere my one yeah. of those smaller towns. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I know, yeah. So... And and the fact is that like him and his brother, like Sam and his character and his brother were from like a kind of a fucked up family. Uh While their best friend was this star baseball player and he already had a scholarship. So it's not a very far reach if you're from Texas to be like, oh, yeah, the boy with the scholarship got to walk away. He just accidentally, he messed up one time, he deserves a second shot, where the other guy from a shitty family would be thrown under the bus. Like Mm -hmm. we've all fucking heard that. We've all seen it probably now in high schools. Yeah. And so the whole short film is basically Sam's character being like, can you admit that like we both deserve the same thing or nothing at all? And the guy's like, no, you fucked up. You're the loser. Wouldn't give in. You're a fucking loser and fuck you for even trying to put me in the same category as you. And that's the attitude. And that's what makes him go, All right. Yeah. And so that moment there is that basically where he goes off, he's like, You're my last person for the day. He locks the door. He kind of walks back, very calmly gives him a shave, asks him, Is there anything else I can do for you? And he's like, No, just a shave. And that's where we end the film. It was supposed to end with a slice. And that's where we just sort of end the yeah, film. Yeah. Yeah. So that moment, that's where I was like, This is what I'm most nervous about. And I had a song in my head, which we did not use. I I got a great soundtrack from a, a individual in Dallas. He goes. He goes by Ghost World. That's his uh, sort of uh, musician name, and he volunteered it. I got connected to wow. him, and he kind of was like, "I love what you have. Let me give you something." He kind of he he. he did it for free in like a number, in like three days. He just, he had a, was a regular job. He has other producing gigs he does, and he liked what he saw so much that he just gave me an entire score in three days you
0: know what's funny is uh when when we did our feature we mm-hmm. had grace in it and uh, she introduced me to roger sellers
1: oh i know roger
0: real well and he he did the same thing he that's gave awesome us, he that just, is fantastic yeah. oh man and roger's
1: doing so well oh yeah he's yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bayona, i think is yeah, what he goes yeah, by. Yeah. he's doing fucking great yeah uh so proud of him um but yeah what i had in mind so i i typically have to start with a strong image, an iconic image, something that is iconic, that is identifiably itself, for me, and a piece of music. And in this case, yep. it was Aphex Twins' uh, track Seven, or it's called Curtain. That's the alternative name off of the um, Selected Ambient Works Volume Two, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it just kind, it's it's a hypnotic piece. It's kind of creepy, but very beautiful. And it's very ambient. It's about eight minutes long. It was literally basically the length of the short almost. And I kind of got that part. And I started playing with the footage and the voiceover, started cutting it up. And I don't do a lot of audio editing, but I was like, I know what I need to do here. I know know which sounds are important. Um, And that's this version that still had the slice. And I found like a very cheap slice sound online that I put in there. And I was like, you know what? This fucking works. This works. And when I started working on again, which I didn't have the balls to really until maybe September. I took my goddamn time recovering from that. Yeah. Um, I tried to start from the very beginning. And I couldn't because the fo- the, 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 the coverage just wasn't what I necessarily wanted it to be. Which is a terrible way to approach anything, really. It's terrible, definitely a terrible way to approach editing. Uh, you definitely have to start with what you got. But I'm not a very experienced editor, and I most of my experience is in music videos and live music and things like that. Yeah. So there wasn't necessarily a natural beginning. So I had all these options for how it could have opened and how it could have started. The f- the first line could have been uttered and like whether i could have like skipped 20 seconds and just got to it or whether i wanted to build the tension in the mood by like panning really slowly and i just couldn't quite figure it out so i said you know what fuck this i have a part that works and i literally cut the whole thing
0: backwards (laughs) good that That, you know what that's interesting. That is such an interesting choice. I've thought about that before. I've thought about it where I where I knew I had something yeah. that was playing mm-hmm. and I thought, well, what if I go? I didn't do it that right. way, but I thought I've had that thought. That's interesting. I'm not
1: sure how much of a choice it was. You know what it was for sure, though, that I am certain? of. It was mm-hmm. definitely a learning experience. I feel like I learned how to cut... I, I learned how to cut a dramatic scene. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, to the extent that it is dramatic, that it works, I don't know. Maybe I, I no, but we'll he, see. Yeah. Uh, I, I've yet to get a whole lot of feedback on it, honestly. But I'm, I am fairly happy with what I got out of it. And um, and that's when you saw me, it was right after I finished it. And it was like, you know what? If I have to walk away. I'm pretty happy if I just leave that. pretty happy that this is a thing that I'm done with, that I finished, I successfully completed. I don't know if I can do this as a side thing for much longer because it took everything out of me. I honestly wasn't able to actually do my proper work. I was coming to my job and just cutting it the entire time. At work? At work, shamelessly. Yeah. Just like, yep, I'm a lead. I'm a team lead. I've done everything I can don't talk to me, I don't fucking care. We have new people we're hiring, that's next month, I have works, I have things that need to be closed out, I don't care, this is my priority, this is what I'm doing. Uh, And if I didn't feel like working in the office that day, I'd just be like, I'll see you tomorrow, That's this is it. And I talked to my coworkers and I said, you know what it is, you know what I'm about, you know you can rely on me most of the time, but right now- I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. And it was right after I finished training a bunch of people. So I felt like I kind of earned some of that time. Right, right, (laughs) right. And it certainly is a luxury. I don't want to say that I actually earned it. No, no, no. In that very specific context of that office, sure. In the context of being a worker, having a side gig, no. This is a luxury that I could afford to myself and not for too much longer. This is not a sustainable thing. And that's very much what I felt like. I finished it. I am exhausted. I am tired. I'm very happy with it, but I don't feel like what I'm doing is very sustainable.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I The end of a project, especially one like that, affects me differently. Dep- Sometimes I'm just like ecstatic. Mm-hmm. And I was. I yeah. certainly was. But I was also thinking Tired, about... And how do you do this again?
1: <laughs> like, do you have the mental fortitude of even... St- Starting a project. People are like, are you working on anything? I was like, I can't even begin.
0: Well, and let's be clear too, your job, which we've talked around, but Mm -hmm. your job, it's mentally taxing, right? I mean It certainly can be. So it wasn't
1: quite nearly as taxing during the pandemic, but quite frankly, that's because nobody did shit during the pandemic. That was my
0: same with mine, right? I mean, it's like nobody was doing anything. Yeah. But And I I never even asked you this earlier. (laughs) uh, Now, is the word ontology applicable to your current job? Yes, very much so. What does that mean? (laughs) Informational
1: ontology. So as it is used now, I can give you a literal definition by literal computer scientist, Tom Gruber. The way he defines informational or informatic ontology is a... um, I'm fucking up the word. It's a specialization of a, not specialization is a, yeah, specialization of a conceptualization. Okay. It's a specification of a conceptualization. That's what it is. So it it is very much just like traditional ontology. And ontology is basically a branch of metaphysics, which is essentially study of what there is. Okay. in a very big way and that basically comes with two questions from Prometheus what is there and what is it like okay so what is out there in the world and uh, what are its properties what are its qualities okay and that's kind of what we do there uh and i can't really go into details of how we do it in google um or how they do it at google i um, Again, a contractor.
0: But you're doing I'm it the too in the world. Yeah. But I do it.
1: Just not. I'm, I'm not quite as important. Um, but it's very much divided into what are things and what are they like. Okay. It's just that then you got to build this pipeline for all the data to actually describe them. I right. come up with this schema of the schema for these things, and someone else comes up with a pipeline and finds the data, and they build the pipeline, and it pumps out the answers. Okay. For the
0: knowledge and, and this does eventually affect what happens whenever i click some type something into google and hit enter <laughs> oh yes yes, yes so absolutely a, so.
1: absolutely we did do a lot of work for um covet 19 if you're watching if you're looking at a game like fifa it's happening right now And if yep. you're looking at the scores and the stats of who has passes blah 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 all of that uh, directly see. uh we are not working on this one we worked on covet yeah, uh, but this is very much work getting worked directly by Google and people with my specialty, but specifically in Google. There's a yeah. lot of stuff. If it, like we as contractors don't get to work on necessarily a lot of things with a lot of impact. Impact is measured by how many people look for it. Okay. Um, those things that get taken care of specifically by Google people, unless they're running out of time, as they did. With uh, COVID nineteen, where well, they're running out of manpower, and we were here, so we worked on it. That was that's not the case with FIBA. They know it's coming; yeah. they're all prepared for it. Everybody's already know what they're doing, and
0: we only there in a very auxiliary role, if you will. Well, when and when you so I guess really that type of a job. I I don't know. How, like, is there? To me, that seems like it would be mentally taxing. Like, you're just, you're thinking a lot. You're just Uh, using a lot of... I mean, yes and no. So a lot of this stuff is maintenance because you're not building stuff all the
1: time. A lot of the stuff is already built. You're adding stuff a lot of the time. A lot of stuff is maintenance. So this thing should be removed. This thing should be added. This should be changed here and
0: there. Could be updates, could Um, be... yeah.
1: Yeah, a lot of stuff. A lot of it is like that. A lot of it is bureaucracy. A lot of it is... It is, it is a very global team, so you have to communicate with people all over the world to make sure that you're on the same page, you're getting what you want, and that the product is it's, it's envisioned by a person you've never even heard of. Yep. Who's got passed it down, who passed it down, who passed it down. Yeah. And you're working on different directions from somebody in a different time zone. Uh, My job is increasingly going to become more management because I have more people under me so I can train these people to do what I need to do and I can sort of still do the work but less of it and more or less manage the quality at this point, which is honestly kind of even more taxing because you can take in more
0: work. I was just going to say, yeah, whenever you think about it that The beautiful thing
1: about that is that in a way it does run itself. Instead of being surprised every day by what you may or may not find for your own stuff, you're s- instead there to support people. You know, you're. you're I, I, very, I I come from the restaurant industry. I very much have the mental attitude of somebody from the restaurant industry. And and that is that the people I'm training, the people who'll be working under me, without them, there is no work getting done. Yeah. Executives and uh, man, project managers, you can get rid of all of them. Yeah, everything else will keep going. It's the other people you can't get rid of. Yeah, they are your knowledge base. They are the people you rely on, and if you don't set them up for success, you don't get to complain about them not doing a good job. And that's right. just a fact. Right. Uh, and 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 those people are to be protected and valued. And everyone else, I mean, yeah, sure, they have a place. They're very important. Uh, but I, I'm I'm very firm in my belief that is those people who actually do the work that are more important than a program manager, a project right. manager, or me for that matter, or team lead once yeah. they are up to speed and doing their job.
0: Well, that's so, all right. So I guess we're at a point now. So you so okay, you've got, you're going to find out in February what's, uh, if it goes, ha- comes it, or goes. Yeah. And yeah. you
1: know, I'll, I'll be happy either way. And if it doesn't get into South by Southwest, there's, there's a, so many there's other festivals that so I'm going to you to. Yeah, you'll keep Absolutely. Going. It's just that I can't, I, it, like, it has to premiere at South by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't get to go. Yeah. Right? So that's why I'm like, that's, I'm done. I submitted it. If it gets in, tight. If it's not, it's a 2023 problem. Right. <laughs> Either way, I don't have to think about it for the rest of the year. So I'm looking forward yeah. to not thinking about it for the rest of the year. And I'm kind of running out of time because it's December.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's actually a good feeling in a way, though, Mm because because if you're if you know you you made your and and right, it's it's a premiere there. So if if they don't, you kind of have to you are beholden to what they want. Mm -hmm. So they put you on hold. I hate that that happens. But in a way, it could be a blessing because it's like, all right, we'll just wait until after that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is there any other project in the chamber right now? or is this sort of like, again, the, the line in the sand? There's c- been a
1: few other projects that I've been consistently coming back to that I'm very interested in, um, but I don't, they, they, they are larger scale projects. Okay. Um, there's nothing necessarily small. There's one music video when Cole finally gets around to recording the version of the song that he wants that I would be interested in revisiting, and I would be interested in doing that song, in a that music video in a very non-traditional way. We talked about cell phones and such. I don't know if I'd necessarily do it on a cell phone, but I may think about doing it all vertical, honestly. Because uh, that is the way you look at things on your phone. A lot of the way. I mean, uh, we I shot a sh- music video for him um, called Lonely a few years ago. And I really like it still. Uh, and we shot it on um, R4. Yeah. Uh, and we had a anamorphic lens on it. And it was great fun oh. to shoot an anamorphic. Yeah. Amazing. I was like, I really want to do this. And that was kind of a defining, it was one of the defining characteristics. The thing about working with Colt, the thing I love about Colt is that he really brings an iconic element to things he does. And so I wouldn't want to just try to repeat that again. If I work with him on a music video, I Uh want to find something unique about this song uh, this performance, the, this this thing. And this is a song that I've nagged them about writing because this came from a previous band of his called King Wood and the Holy Nana. Okay. And I was like, you can't just abandon this. This is too fucking good. You're insane. Do a version. Do a fucking version. And he did two versions and I don't think he's still happy with them. And you know, and, and he's not the kind of guy who will suffer endlessly from perfectionism. He will find the version, I'm sure. Of it. Yeah, yeah. So I would be very much interested in working with him on that again um and then there's a few so there's a feature film we outlined a couple years ago we're going to work with a production company we kind of made it a pitch and it got pitched so early in the pandemic that it was a terrible idea honestly it got pitched people got excited and then it hit and then nobody cared anymore actually got pitched to neon i think oh wow okay Uh, i don't know it got very far honestly but that's at least what i was told by the producer Uh, and apparently they were interested but then then the pandemic was like nobody yeah. wants to. Nobody wants to spend money on spec shit yep. in uh, March of tw- or April of 2020. It just yeah. wasn't realistic. Um, I still like the idea of it. I still like where it goes. And it's outlined right now. It's, it's just- outlined. Uh, it is a sort of a parallel noir story. Um, it is a very roundabout adaptation of Hemingway's The Killers. Oh wow. Uh, but That's not those kind of killers. The killers in this case are gentrifiers. Uh, okay. People who kill your neighborhoods and cities in a very malicious way. They they come with money. They come with smiles, right? Um, yeah. And uh, relevant. <laughs> and, and I was very and I'm very interested in another big part of it was that I. I, I, I there is an immigrant experience, but there's an experience within that experience, and it's experience of being around people who... uh the, the mentor relationships has always been very interesting to me. My mentor... um, Older gentleman who was very... Friendly, helpful... Around... A mentor, but not in any specific... for anything specific, like he was a... Uh, he, he'd say he was a shrink and he was a shrink he was a photographer professional photographer for decades and he had a phd in uh, psychology and so did his wife sally webster she was the first female forensic psychologist in the united states she had her own practice in houston for a number of years um Damn, and they that's crazy. Um, the, the thing of it is that their advice was good but it was and they meant so well and i got to learn so much and have so many great conversations that were so enriching But their very practical advice was so out of date and I kind of had this very um, distorted idea of what America was at the time as I knew them and how you could sometimes learn very important life lessons not from people who you love and who love you but maybe from people who you may detest and that was definitely a very important idea for that film I really wanted that, that that is definitely I don't know if that's a thesis or a plot point or a theme but that's definitely a big part of it that's always been very big for me and it's a parallel story of a boy who's about 16 15 years old Nick Adams in our case it would be somebody like that but not necessarily that and the older man not somebody like Ollie Anderson's age but somebody and it wouldn't actually be even Ollie Anderson but it would be somebody a little older than him kind of an older millennial if you will somebody who at this point would probably be in their late 30s and sort of how they react to a situation how they go looking for somebody a person named Patrick Kelly and he there's a MacGuffin and so we my friend and Philip wrote a script that was sort of like a the idea was to write a short story in a short film that would work as a pitch for the larger film. Sure. Uh, but we got so enamored with the characters.
0: That you went and wrote it?
1: We, I mean, the thing is like 25 pages long. And I love it. I yeah. love it. every page you it. I love all the characters we meet there. I think it is incredibly, I think what Philip did there is great. Uh, but how to adapt that, I don't, I just don't know. Because nobody's going to sit for a 25 minute short film. Oh, yeah. Also, how the fuck do you finance that? yeah just like yeah you can do it for cheap but there is an element where even if it looks cheap you still have to coordinate multiple locations people rehearsal there's a lot of things you have to do whether you use a fancy camera or not yeah you know you don't get to just improvise that unless you already have access to all those resources which there are people who absolutely could make that happen because they are in that environment and i'm just not in that environment i'm in the tech environment world and i'm very much adjacent to the film world this is right. something that will take a lot more effort for me to do and make happen
0: again this is always the hard part about the creative moonlighting thing right you know it's that's that's it is is you 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 get something that you're really excited about but at the same time you see the reality of of how hard is this going to be to do you know how, right and and uh and how, you know how it's it's like i want to say yes but i can't say it without a how how the hell are we going to do it right and if you find even if you found the actors yeah you got you talking rehearsals you're talking a coordinating schedules the right. schedules alone is like right. holy hell right but do you act
1: still like i, I know obviously you acted in this short but like you're talking about you're transitioning from Teaching mostly to doing video and I mostly hear about you shooting and editing. Yeah. Not so much acting. So is it like a side thing or do you mostly wanna act still? No, act? I
0: still want to. Yeah, yeah. I still want to. I think I uh, I realized, you know, probably well, I spent four and a half, five years in LA. We we lived there. Uh, and I was only ever either most of the time I was just doing like I would get an audition, not mm-hmm. get the job. And then sometimes I would get the job, but I would just be like a guest role. So it was right. just like, they paid me for the day. There was nothing to right. it, whatever. And then uh, nearing the end of that, I ended up getting uh, a pilot that got oh. a 10 episode season of a doctor show on TLC. Uh-huh. So I got to do that. And that was a, that was great fun. Mm-hmm. Even though looking back on it, it was just like this kind of campy show. Mm-hmm. But, but it was still great fun to just like, Be have the camaraderie of the the people and to collaborate with these people day in and day out. Uh, So I will say, you know, acting still probably is my first love of all. Yeah, and uh, and and I think when I realized I I wanted to act more, I thought, well, I need to make my own stuff. Maybe I have more that I you know I could I could write myself into roles. Sure. So that was that was how that all started. So when did you start acting? Mm Mm, I was probably, I was 20, I officially started trying, I took classes in, oh, three Mm -hmm. and I was 23. I'm 42 now. Mm -hmm. So it's been almost 20 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and most of the stuff really, I was taking classes in LA and then audition, then I started auditioning. I finally got an agent and was auditioning. Mm -hmm. Um, and so at that point I was fully immersed in that, like pound the pavement, try to be an actor in LA world. Uh, And then once I got a little bit of work, just even a taste of it was enough. Mm -hmm. The problem was that like any actor probably would tell you, I just despised the whole, I'm going to show up and see 50 other dudes that look just like me.
1: Yeah. And we're all
0: going to go in and we're going to say the same stupid line for the mouthwash commercial. You know, I just got, I, I got over, I really hated that that sounds like a meat grinder yeah and so i that's when i started to write a little bit Uh you know and and the more that i wrote i knew nothing about filmmaking Mm -hmm. but i the more that i wrote the more that i started to picture and i started to pay attention and and then i then i then i I moved here and and honestly when i met eric uh we did i i I worked in i think it was his first feature yeah it was his first feature uh narrative Mm -hmm. and uh And it was all improv, Mm -hmm. but we, he outlined a bit and we, we definitely got together and had a big
1: fan of uh, Mike Lee.
0: He (laughs) is, he is. And, uh, we were just talking about that yesterday. Um, but, and so that kind of turned me on to the idea of doing things simple Mm -hmm. because that movie was done pretty simply. And Uh we also, we were, everybody in it was pretty young, but, Uh but, but. I mean, uh, getting the schedules to align was still a big pain. Yeah. You know? And when did you guys then,
1: do it? What year was that? That was
0: 08. Oh, we shot it in yeah. 08. And it premiered at Austin uh, Film Festival in 09. Mm-hmm. So that's how long it took. It took, Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was pretty quick,
0: honestly. By yeah. A lot yeah. Of well, by, by mine, too, that's pretty quick. Uh, and and honest, I guess, really, considering what he did, too, because we shot so much because it was improv. <sighs>
1: <laughs> so considering yeah. that it
0: was actually really quick uh, um but yeah i i think yeah long 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 roundabout answer is yeah i'm for sure still interested in acting mm-hmm. and, I, and i intend to to always at least play some some role even if it's not the main role in whatever mm. it is i'm doing you know
1: so how was it to collaborate how how was how was it to work on pops because i was so on the periphery of that project and have you worked with uh with Michael, Michael before,
0: before? yeah. That was my first time working with Michael. Mm-hmm. But we, um, we had for several, much like you said, you know, you'd done three months of rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Rehearsals <laughs> usually wasn't in like Eric's mind, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Like with the previous stuff that we'd worked on together, he was kind of iffy on whether or not he wanted to do too many rehearsals.
1: Yeah, he likes the magic of the take. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so with this one, though, we rehearsed. Scenes that would not be in the movie. We just rehearsed uh-huh. the backstory. Sure.
1: Yeah, okay. That's and interesting. Yeah. So and he
0: shot a bit of that. Okay. So we actually had a lot of that to go on. Mm-hmm. And uh and then we went and took a trip down to Blanco, Texas. Mm-hmm. And yep. we we stayed at a house and we just basically hammered out everything that we thought worked and mm-hmm. everything that we wanted to either add in and make made sure that there was just a, a consistency in the through line and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a fair bit of what showed up in the movie, there's some references to some specific backstory stuff that we wanted to make sure Absolutely. was, you know, that, was, that that was right. So once we had that, that trip under our belts, we kind of had the outline and we pretty much had all the beats that we wanted to do. And then it was just a matter of finding the time. And and honestly, that even, even with just m- me and Michael and Eric, there were things that ha- we were supposed to shoot it in like February
1: and oh, wow. yeah.
0: didn't work. Then we tried again in March, didn't work. Then s- South by hit. And then we were said, well, let's do April. That didn't work. And so f- by the time we got around to it, it was when we met you. So yeah um yeah that's just kind of crazy how long that was supposed to be this like we're gonna just do this really quick off the cuff and yeah <laughs> <laughs> didn't happen that way yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah no it really seemed like you you guys really had the chemistry of people who knew each other a long time
0: oh well i appreciate yeah the, well um, it,
1: he had the kid he definitely had a sense of I know how to push this man's buttons. And you had the, I am so sick of this man's bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like
0: uh, I've dealt with this for decades. Yeah, we're back, Here we are. This is the, the, the we're back through the ringer. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we definitely had the rehearsal time for yeah. that. And I, and I'm glad it came through because that, that wouldn't, I don't, I'm not so sure it would have, if we hadn't spent the the time. Cause honestly, I didn't know Michael that well. I, I actually I had worked with him in one other scene mm-hmm. in a, in a feature that Eric did, but it was, we, I mean, it was so brief, mm-hmm. um, that we, you know, that was the only, that was the last time I'd seen him was several years prior. Mm-hmm. And so when we got together this time, we actually spent time together. So that, and I think that, that helped, that for sure helped me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that was a fun project. And I, and I guess when you think about how like these, some of these little short films come together, uh, when we first started talking about it, I was like, popsicles, what, like what you know it's just like some this like ridiculous idea and then all of a sudden we were like doing what we're doing this you know oh
1: yeah that's not even the name of it now
0: no no it's layman's copyright now because i think i think he looked to see uh and i think there was an oddly enough i think there was another popsicles or or there was at least some reference that made him go like oh man i don't want people like landing on this right you know
1: yeah it was kind of funny actually i for the longest time the name of the short that I did was A close Shave. And then I, I don't know, there was something about you know, once you, you come across a piece of media and you're like, I just got to watch everything. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Wallace and Gromit was that thing.
0: Oh, wow. Was,
1: somebody said, don't you love it? And I said, "I no, I'm not into it. And they were like, okay, that's a strong reaction. Why not? And I'm like, you know what? I don't know why. Let me try it again. <laughs> so I, I, well, I think I looked up some YouTube reviews and I looked uh, at um, Patrick H. Williams' like he has a yeah. s- special on like um, – one of the shorts, uh, train se- a chase sequence on a train and um, my girlfriend and I basically marathoned the whole thing. And one of them is called a close shave. And I was like, well, I'm not going to change it radically, <laughs> but I'm going to take the A out. So I called it close shave instead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, not as dramatic of a change. I honestly would not think no one else to call it. Man, that happens
0: uh, all the friggin' time you look and I, I mean, even like big name, big movies have redone the whole, you know, run into that. It's like if I'm naming my short something and I wanted to name it that and I run across something else that was named, this point, it's like, it's I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
1: as well and for me it's especially weird because it's like you know i have a whole other culture of other movies and books that i come with uh, from russia where that's sometimes it's the same goddamn title oh wow yeah you know one of the most popular movies which is very contentious right now because it has undertones that may or may not be there um that could be seen as very nationalistic and racist. Oh yeah. Which I think the point was that they're not good, but yeah. people will but it's such a popular and cool movie that eh, it's 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 debatable how good of a point it makes about how bad that behavior is. Uh, but it's it's called Brother. And it's such a generic name and there's a very popular yakuza film with Takeshi Kitano named that. And then there's Brother 2, which is the most successful Russian film I think in theatrical release, maybe not now, but it was for a long time. Oh, wow! Uh, and I'm pretty sure the sequel to Brother was also called Brother Two by the And there's a whole lot of them like that.
0: Yeah. It's no. Like, it, and honestly, if it works, it doesn't. If the movie works, it doesn't matter. Right. You know. Right.
1: It's just it, it definitely something is that's on my mind. Because I work for one of the largest, you, yeah, you know how this search you know, engine you know in the, the world, world. <laughs> can't can't help it.
0: Yeah, you don't want to like um, paint yourself into a corner to where you're. You, I named it this, and now every time somebody searches, you know, it's like you know what's going to happen. Yeah yeah but yeah yeah well listen man we uh we covered most of everything probably not everything but i uh i really really appreciate you taking the time to sit down we'll have to do it again at some point yeah thank you for having me thank you so much constantine